Hello, Internet friends, and welcome back to Love, Hate, Relationship, an opinionated podcast for opinionated people. I'm Andy Boel. And I'm Alex Ruiz, and we're here to brighten your day, anger your soul, and tell you how to live your lives in that order. And we are coming to you from a uh, post-Hurricane Dorian world. I I feel bad admitting this, but, you know, it, it wound up not hitting Florida at all. And my first thought was, I feel terrible for the people in the Bahamas that it did hit. Um, so much so that I, I reached out to a friend of the pod, uh, Andrew Sharpazian, to make sure he was okay. And my second thought was, damn it, I wanted a snow day. You bitch. <laughs> I'm not proud of it. But uh, if I'm being honest, I mean, it's just so weird how like everyone got so freaked out about it to the point where like a week before the hurricane was projected to hit, you couldn't find a case of water to save your life. And like people were saying this one was going to be bad. This was going to be worse than Irma. And it wound up being like, I, I think at its absolute worst, it was like a mildly bad storm at four in the morning. Um, now all that to say it's interesting. So Dorian did travel up the coast and wound up hitting North Carolina uh, as a category one and just wrecked the coastline. And my wife and I were talking about this being like, what, what's how, why? And we had to sit back and remember Florida is like the one state that is uniquely situated to deal with hurricanes as, as best as anyone can. Um, sure. But you'd think the Carolinas would be up there, too. They they have a hockey team named after the event, for God's sake. Wow. <laughs> I hate you so much right now. <laughs> oh, God. I mean, okay. Uh, if I have learned anything living in North Carolina for the last three years, it's that the people here are very bad at prepping for anything. Case in point, Andrew, I live in a town that gets regular snowfall in the winters. Not a lot. One, two, three snowfalls, like heavy snowfalls every winter. And the town is set up such that they don't bother to deal with the snow when it happens. They just shut the town down. They don't, their plows will plow like the interstate and the major roads and almost nothing else. Everyone just kind of stays home. I get snow days. I have gotten a snow day at my job every winter since I've been working there. At least one. In some cases, more. Just because it's bad weather. No one can drive in the snow. Meanwhile, like motherfuckers in Wisconsin, I used to work for a company that was based out of Wisconsin when I first moved to Asheville, and they were like, yeah, no, in Wisconsin, it snows. We just come to work. Like, it doesn't matter. We're all ready for it. And I, I'm sitting here going, your infrastructure is prepared for that. So you tell me that the coast of North Carolina is not prepared for a hurricane, and I tell you, duh. <laughs> Florida is many things. Prepared. I'm not sure prepared is the right word, but um, ready for anything might be more in line with uh, how you should characterize Florida. And frankly, 
I, I lived through my share of Florida hurricanes. You just kind of sit and deal with it, you yeah. know? Like, yes, every hurricane that hits Florida will cause some property damage. Some people will die. That is horrible, and we still treated it like a party time when it did hit. Oh, yeah. My third thought, for those of you keeping track, was that I needed to get the half bottle of rum I'd left at a friend's house back for, like, the, you know, the bow on my hurricane supplies. (laughs) Delightful. By the way, Sharpie, mad love to you. I hope you're doing well. Uh, I need to reach out to you my own self now that I think about it. (laughs) I will report our our friend who lives in the Bahamas and is, I I always love seeing it in the analytics. I know you're listening. Um, He did report that he was A-OK and he was on the complete other side of the island that got hit. So he was fine. Okay. Okay. We love you, Andy and Angela too. Y'all are (laughs) y'all are the best and i'm real glad that y'all are safe and i'm a terrible friend because i did not think to check in on you i have not been following i did not follow dorian very closely they told me it was coming to north carolina (laughs) and i basically went well i'm six hours inland and i ended up having a beautiful day like it was not a cloud in the sky because all the clouds were over there so I can't throw too much uh, shade at you. I mean, yeah, when when you live, especially, I mean, Asheville might as well be landlocked. Like, I know North Carolina itself is not landlocked, but when you're living in Asheville, you might as well just consider yourself to be living in a landlocked state. Um, At one point before the storm hit, I was talking to your wife and she was asking, you know, what my plans were for the weekend. It was, oh, nothing much. Maybe going to a party and then uh, prepping for Dorian. She was like, Dorian? What what's that? Oh no, I was sitting next to her at that point, and she thought that Dorian she thought you were in a play, possibly based on Aww. the picture of Dorian Gray. And it was the cutest moment, and I thought to myself, You sweet summer child, <laughs> I I love you, and I'm so happy that you don't follow every little event that's happening as closely as the rest of us do because that way you know you're happy and being happy is nice i i yeah. i like that reality much better um i need to go find the stage version of the picture of dorian gray and audition now oh there's got to be like eight of them oh, yeah. you know there has to be although the trial of oscar wilde horribly underrated play i can dig it man I highly recommend it. Speaking of recommendations, yeah. should we get started? Yeah, it's either that or I'm about to start crying about how I miss theater, and that'll just, <laughs> it'll be really hard to segue out of that. So let's go ahead. <laughs> uh, okay, so um, y'all, this is Love Hate Relationship. Um, a little quick note on our format. Each episode, one of us comes to the table with a topic of something we love. The other one comes to the table with a topic of something we hate. Uh, And then we take a relationship question, normally from our listeners. Uh, This episode, we're actually going to do something a little bit different. More on that later. Andy, if you don't mind me starting, I've got the love for this episode. Yeah, my man. Let's go into it. All right. After, I think I counted it, after, I think, six episodes... 
uh, wherein I did not touch a single music topic. Maybe it was five. I'm not sure. Uh, I am coming in back hot, breaking the embargo, uh, and I want to talk about uh, what I consider to be one of the most underrated rappers of all time, Missy Misdemeanor Elliot. Hell yeah. Now, as... As always, Andy, I want to lead in, well, not as always, but as normally, uh, I want to lead in with uh, asking you a question. Uh, and I did send this to Andy ahead of time. This is not going to be off the dome. But, Andy, I want you to come up with a list of your top five favorite rappers. Right. And so the clarification there being favorite, I'm not giving you a goat list or anything. No, 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 no. If, if you if parameters for being a favorite for you is um, being a contender for goat status, absolutely include it. But these are these are your favorite rappers to listen to. Excellent. And uh, I won't hold any lie. This is going to come across as the list of a white guy who only really started getting into the genre after his wife broke him into it. And that's OK. And I'm, God bless uh, you, Mariah. Yeah. <laughs> Waiting for some fire engines to leave. Okay. Um, so yeah, my top five favorite rappers of all time in no particular order, because uh, that would just be a mite difficult. Uh, I'm going to okay. go ahead and say Tupac. All right. Eminem. Okay. Chance the Rapper. Not mad about it. Childish Gambino. Also not mad about it. And this might be the one you get mad about, Lil Dicky. Eh, it is your favorite. It is my favorite. So I'm actually, not going to be terribly you, mad. You, you know, uh, I, let's call Lil Dicky a six. Um, number five, truly, because I think I've listened to this person's, I've watched this person's music, music videos more than just about anyone else. I am going to say Nicki Minaj. All right, I'm for it. I deeply love Nicki Minaj. I deeply love everyone you listed, uh, with the exception of Lil Dicky, who I don't hate. I just haven't listened to, like, even a fraction as much of him as I've listened to everyone else. I will say, like, the biggest thing for Lil Dicky, yeah, he's a comedy rapper, but for you and for everyone else who thinks that is just a total curveball, listen to Bruh, because that song kicks ass. Got a chicken parm on a date, it seemed, but I don't even know the broad. She just grating the cheese. I don't even got a job. I just blazing free, but still they get a boy bears 98 degrees. So hey, I think, you know what? Eminem started off. I wouldn't start. He wouldn't say started off. Infinite, uh, his first album, which sold like 600 copies uh, that no one listened to, uh, except for me and like eight people in Detroit, <laughs> was not really a comedy album, um, but... Definitely the Slim Shady LP was like a weird comedy horrorcore kind of dark humor album. So, you know, there's roots to that for everybody. And of course, Childish Gambino, he he's not a comedy rapper per se, but Lord knows the man has comedy chops. Absolutely. So, okay. I appreciate you providing me with that list. And you know what? I appreciate you putting Nicki Minaj on that list because honestly, I have debated with putting Nicki Minaj. Nicki Minaj has been on and off my top five and my top ten multiple times over the years. I hated her for a good long while, uh, copped to my own shit, and came to love her, and now I have other issues with her 
besides the point. She is not the topic here. Uh, although I feel like she'll come into this discussion a little bit. I think so. But Yeah. But um, something that I find really interesting about the list that you gave me. So just to recap, we have Tupac, we have Eminem, we have Chance, we have Gambino, we have Nicki Minaj, and we have a Lil Dicky honorable mention. Correct. Let me just ask you real quick. What's something that you feel all of these rappers kind of have in common? What kind of does it for you to attract you to all of them? I can think of a few things I would say they all have in common, but like, tell me what you feel they do. Uh, I think the biggest thing is, and and the thing that really does it for me with regards to what I like in rap is just super smooth flow and the more creative you can get with the lyricism, um, the, the more impressed I'll be, you know, Nicki Minaj, um, she goes on there for more than anything else. I think she has the best part of monster, uh, Kanye yeah. song easily. Yeah. <laughs> she totally slays it. Um, you know, Eminem has such a long and storied career, but I think about rap God, which, I think a lot of people might say is kind of past Eminem's expiration date, but honestly the super insane fast rap he does in rap. God just blows me away. Chance the rapper for being so young is just so damn smart and, and does so interest so, so much interesting stuff with the music. So I, I think that's really like the key for me is, your lyricism and how can you take that ly- lyricism and make it flow? That's smart, honestly. And that's a lot of what I would say they have in common. Those are all definitely like strongly lyrical writers, very dense writers, very interesting, go in unique places writers. So no props to that. Uh, now my segue to this and a lot of why I, wanted to kind of ask you to do that is because um, I'm talking about Missy Elliott here. And in my experience, when I talk to people about their top fives, their top tens, their goat contenders, Missy is a name that I feel very, very rarely comes up. And in this discussion, I kind of want to talk about why I think that is and why I think that is bullshit. So, um, I appreciate the intro. Uh, I'm going to go into a couple of broad biographical points, and then I want to get this discussion started. Cool? Absolutely. All right. So, Melissa Arnett Elliott was born July 1st, 1971 in Portsmouth, Virginia, to Patricia and Ronnie Elliott, a power company dispatcher and a Marine, respectively. Her early childhood was spent in Jacksonville, North Carolina, where she was an active participant in church music programs and was a detached, kind of uninterested student despite testing well above her grade level. At one point, she actually deliberately failed a bunch of tests so that she can be left back behind and go to school school with her friends her own age again. As a teenager, her family moved back to Virginia and eventually... She and her mother left her father following years of domestic abuse, uh, which she has talked about in some songs. While still in high school, she formed a girl group that would eventually be known as Sista, 
produced by her neighborhood friend, Timothy Mosley, a.k.a. Timbaland. The group would go on to score a record deal, release a couple of albums that, honestly, I don't think were that great. Some people will argue otherwise, besides the point, before they they folded in 1995. Uh, During and after that time, Missy and Timbaland kind of became this really powerful songwriting and producing duo. And they worked for acts like Jodeci, raven Simone, Mary J. Blige, and famously Aaliyah. Now, Missy herself released her first solo album, Super Duper Fly, in 1997, following just years of doing guest spots. And, and honestly, the album went platinum on the back of multiple really fascinating Afro-futuristic music videos. Anyone who's a Janelle Monet fan right now, I beg you, please look up, like, old Missy Elliott videos. You will see direct parallels from where Janelle Monet is pulling from. Now, since then, she's released seven albums, had her appeared on over 70 singles, is the only female rapper inducted into the Songwriters Hall of Fame, Produced and co-written on somewhere between 250 and 600 songs. I have that range because I couldn't find a definitive source. Uh, They vary wildly, but 250 was the lowest number I found. And I would argue she deserves to be on all of our top fives. Now, Andy, let me ask you something. You've been been a consumer of the zeitgeist. (laughs) You listen to some hip-hop. When you think Missy Elliott, what's the first, like song or appearance or image or thought that comes into your head uh the first song like the first thing that comes into my head from an auditory standpoint is pass that dutch <laughs> that's a great hootie who run for, for cover motherfucker and the that's great. first thing that like visually comes into my head is like missy dancing in the tracksuit. i love it i love it um, I'm gonna be upfront with you. First, like auditory thought that I would that I've had for years is the little riff from Get Your Freak On. The The first visual cue, believe it or not, is her and the Lady Marmalade video. Okay. Which, for all of you youngins, um, <laughs> you may you may or may not be familiar with a certain little. Uh, Baz Luhrmann film called Moulin Rouge, uh, which had a promotional track that was sung by Christina Aguilera, Pink, Lil Kim, who is a rapper but weirdly didn't rap on the song, Maya, and a verse from Missy Elliott. Uh, And they covered an old disco song called Lady Marmalade, including a Missy Elliott verse that she wrote. And... The video, very famously, has all of those ladies, with the exception of Missy, all dressed in very Baz Luhrmann, Moulin Rouge-inspired lingerie. Christina Aguilera actually had her hair teased out like she's Dee Snyder in Twisted Sisters. It's insane <laughs> yeah. and wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> but Missy's there in a tracksuit. And, and now, admittedly, her whole verse is like a female empowerment seminar. But, like... She definitely stands out among those five because she is the one who is she is the one who is not like the others visually in that right. video. And she's the one who's not like the others vocally in that video. But that's always like kind of where my mind immediately goes to. And 
it's interesting because um, the tracksuit vibe, the big baggy clothes vibe, like that was, I mean, a lot of that was old school B-girl outfits from like the 1980s that she kind of just modernized. But a big thing about Missy Elliott, and I argue this is one of the reasons she doesn't get the credit she deserves, is unlike, say, a Nicki Minaj, she is not... She does not present herself in anything resembling traditional, mainstream, Eurocentric femininity. She comes out in the big tracksuits. She doesn't even do what Queen Latifah did. Queen Latifah would come out in, like, fucking ball gowns when she wasn't in, you know, when she wasn't wearing dashikis. Like, Queen Latifah did her own thing at the time. But Missy very definitively dressed like she could have been in a Run DMC video for a huge chunk of her career. And I think that's a big thing that has kind of been, I don't know, subconsciously used against her in the culture. I don't think there's anybody who will flat out just be like, I don't like Missy Elliott because she dresses like a dude. Or at least anyone who says that would probably get called out, even in fairly misogynist circles. But I think there's something subconsciously there. You know, she's not traditionally pretty the way, say, Nicki Minaj is. Right. I I think, like, that would be what I would prescribe as the main thing. I think you're, you're really on the mark there. And, I mean, I would argue that in like high up producer circles, I think you probably would have heard several times. Well, Miss Elliot isn't sexy. Um, that's wrong, but you know, mm-hmm. like just look at, look at Nicki Minaj, look at Rihanna, look at little Kim, look at Cardi B and then look at Missy Elliot, like all these other, you could call them contemporaries who, dress up in the costumes and show the skin. And that's never been Missy's vibe to her credit, at least not that I've seen at all. Yeah. And and I actually, and I really don't want to take anything away from any of those women that you just, sure, sure. I'm actually a fan of all of them. I'd say Lil Kim's probably the least gifted rapper of them all. Um, and, but funny enough, I'm, I think there's some merit to the argument that, you know, Nicki Minaj kind of stole Lil' Kim's shtick in a lot of ways. Now, she's a better rapper, but I, I'm a fan of everyone you just listed, but Missy does something different. And it's always been her own. She's always been so individual this entire time. Yeah. You know? Like, going all the way back to that first album. The other thing that I really think plays into this... And, it's, and, and here I kind of want to bring it back to that top five list that you gave to me, Andy. Missy does club jams. And club jams are like the pop music of hip-hop. To a certain, to a certain kind of hip-hop fan, my saying that renders kind of a duh answer. Um, but to people who are fans of, like, metal or... Really, really artsy indie rock. My saying that probably holds another character. There are people who really denigrate pop music and treat it as a lesser art form because it's commercially viable, because it's often 
though not always musically more simple in one way or another, because it's frequently worked on with, you know, collaborators, a lot of people denigrate pop music and they, they act like, you know, Taylor Swift is less musically valid than Neutral Milk Hotel. I would rather listen to a Taylor Swift album any day of the week than listen to Neutral Milk Hotel, but that's another argument. That's another hate for another day. Oh, um, all right. But um, I don't actually hate Neutral Milk Hotel. I just think they're boring. But the point is, club jams and hip-hop are... It's not that people don't like them. They sell. They're fun. You know, you... I guarantee you, I can go to any hip-hop dance floor, ask a DJ to play Yeah, to play I Dip You Dip We Dip, any of those, hell, going back even farther than that, like any of those older club jams, you will get a dance floor going, but people aren't going to look to those rappers, those musicians as being goat contenders, as being worthy of standing next to Tupac, despite the fact that Tupac did I Get Around, which is a hella club jam, or standing next to Chance, who, as far as I know, doesn't do any straightforward club jams, but all this to say, it's a subgenre of rap that Missy Elliott is really good at. Like, all of her most memorable songs are some of the most danceable shit you will ever find. And a lot of people treat that fact... Again, I feel like this is a subconscious thing. I'm making an argument for this being in the subconscious of hip-hop culture. The fact that people don't acknowledge Missy Elliott... I'm not even going to say they actively disrespect her. The fact that they don't acknowledge her, I think partially does come down to the fact that she does dancey songs. And there's this notion... That you can't stand next to Tupac if you if your hits be dancey, if your shit moves. You can't you can't stand up there with Eminem. You can't be there with Jay Z. Does this make sense? No, it, it it absolutely does. I mean, there's like I think the people who go to the clubs would make a counter argument, but they're biased in that they go to the clubs. I mean. Uh, your your Taylor Swift Neutral Milk Hotel example, um, I think, described it well. I mean, yeah, it's like the difference of liking the Mountain Goats versus liking Fleetwood Mac. And that's a bad mm-hmm. example. <laughs> I'm muddying. I'm muddying your waters now. But no, I, I, I think... no, it's 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 like okay. How about how about this? It's um. What was the first band you just said? The Mountain Goats. It's comparing the Mountain Goats to fun. Sure. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Like, fun is an objectively poppy band. I love fun. I really like the Mountain Goats. I've admittedly listened to more of fun than I have the Mountain Goats, but I really like both bands. But the Mountain Goats, you know, the dude from Night Vale does a podcast with one of the guys from the Mountain Goats talking about the Mountain Goats. The Mountain Goats are this band that has a certain interesting indie cachet of sorts and are respected songwriters. And Fun did that weird, 
song and they sold records and they were a lot of fun i did not intend that pun um i hate myself a little bit uh but point is like even though i guarantee you fun spends a bunch of time working on their songs they they do write their own music just as much as the mountain goats do they they work they work hard on it they try and get it like the tonality is correct but they try to be poppier and that means less to a certain kind of music fan and in hip hop you you can't be a goat if you're big boy from outcast doing you know really fun kind of soft gangsta dancey stuff you got to be andre 3000 with the over-the-top amazing lyrical stuff and i will argue andre 3000 is a better rapper than big boy he is a better lyricist than big boy that doesn't mean that big boy isn't great because he is outcast is an amazing group because it's two incredible rappers not one really brilliant rapper and one guy who's good on club jams yeah i agree like it's the same people who say like avengers infinity war shouldn't be up for an oscar because it was obviously meant to be like a commercial hit movie it's you know it's it's that but music and yeah like there's there's always going to be a kind of person who just somewhat contrarian needs to be like too many people like this therefore it has less artistic merit when like really you're you're just trying to be a contrarian yeah and i mean the thing is there's a lot of the people i'd be trying to convince about this are people who are huge fans of other rappers that quite frankly i think are lesser you know people want to throw drake into goat debates into top fives Missy writes more songs than Drake does. I know that's an old argument and a lot of people don't care that Drake doesn't write his own songs, but Missy writes better hooks, better lyrics, actually writes them and delivers them with way more intent and power and energy and force and emotion than Drake does. People point to Lauren Hill. You know, people say Lauren Hill deserves to be a goat. I, f- I frankly think the only people who talk about Lauren Hill being a goat are people who are tired of someone calling them sexist for having top fives and top tens that don't have any women in them. Because Lauren Hill was on two great Fuji's albums, did one great solo album, and has been trash for 20 years since. And I don't think anyone's going to argue that point, really. Like, Lauren Hill has not done a great album ever since, but for some reason, because Lauren Hill did Miseducation and the Fugees, and because people want a woman they can latch their hat onto so that people aren't going to say that their top tens are sexist, they pick Lauren Hill as a go-to and ignore Missy Elliott and ignore Nikki and ignore Queen Latifah, ignore Salt and Pepper. Ignore a lot of fantastic women rappers. Ignore Rhapsody, who had probably the best album of last year, the best rap album of last year. She is incredible. 
and mm, people just want to say Lauren Hill because you know she had a couple of albums out at the same time Jay Z did, or at the same time that Biggie did. You know, I don't want to linger too much on this, but something that really, really hit me is I forgot about Missy Elliott for a while. I liked her a lot in the early 2000s, just as I was really starting to become this tremendous music nerd who speaks into your ears right now. (laughs) I liked her a lot back then. Um, I didn't think about her too terribly much. I was like, she's a really fun club jam rapper, and I really like her. And I forgot about her for a while. And then in 2015, she performed at the 2015 Super Bowl halftime show with Katy Perry. Uh, that's the show most of us will remember as, uh, the one with Left Shark, uh, dancing horribly, and Katy Perry did Roar and mimed a lion's roar at the end of the song, and it was real bad. It was a bad halftime show, guys. But Um, Left Shark lives on in our hearts. (laughs) I straight up love Left Shark. Sure, yeah. Um, Missy performed a little bit of Get Your Freak On on that. And it's actually, I remember like the weekend after that, um, talking to a friend of mine. This is when I was in graduate school. Um, Shout outs to Kaya. um, If she's listening, I hope she is. I remember talking to her about it. And we both had the same reaction to that opening riff to Get Your Freak On and going, oh my God, that's Missy Elliott. I forgot about Missy Elliott. And after that moment, I like I dug up my old Missy albums, <laughs> I re-listened to them. No, honestly, and and ever since that show, I've been like trying to talk to more people about Missy Elliott. She's a brilliant lyricist. You know, it's not just the hooks and and the beats. Um, and working with Timbaland, although she did an album without Timbaland just to show that she could do a dope ass album without Timbaland, and she did, and it was great. And, like, she is she is on par with everyone you just listed in your top five, Andy. Bar none. She is on par, I think, with anybody out right now. She just, like, as of time of recording, uh, it's been, I think, just a couple of weeks since she, rela- she, since she released her newest album, Iconography. It slaps so hard. It is one of the best of her career and like everyone's sitting here talking about how great the new tool album is after 13 years of waiting and don't get me wrong i really like the new tool album and it was worth 13 years of waiting but it was really 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 worth it to wait for a new missy elliott album and i am so happy to have it i i beg people you know go listen to her old stuff go listen to iconography she deserves so much more credit for mentoring younger artists, for bringing body positivity into hip-hop 15 years before Lizzo ever did. Like, not, and that's to take nothing away from Lizzo. I really like Lizzo, and I really like what she's doing, but Missy has been a trailblazer. She's been a fantastic artist, and I made the mistake of letting her fall out of my brain for the better part of maybe six or seven years. 
And for the last four years, I've been making up for that with how much I've been enjoying her stuff. And so I just, I'm pleading with y'all. If you are at all a hip-hop fan, if you haven't given Missy a chance, if you've ever thought to dismiss her, if you've ever liked even one of her songs, give her shit a chance. Her discography is short. It's seven albums. You can listen to it in a week, an album a day. You can take it slower than that, but all her stuff is available on streaming. I highly recommend her because I think that she... The fact that Missy Elliott does not get as much respect as Tupac, as Chance, as Lizzo and Nicki saddens me so deeply because I honestly just think it's because she doesn't present a certain kind of femininity. It's because she does club jams and fucking bananas awesome club jams as that. And people are not recognizing just how fantastic she is. So... There's my rant. Missy Misdemeanor Elliot. I put her in my top five any day of the week. That's my segment, yo. And good on you, man. I agree with everything you say, you know. Um, it's it's a shame Mariah was completely unavailable for this recording. But, like, Missy would have been in Mariah's top five. Missy would have been in Mariah's top three. She, uh, my wife is the only reason I have ever even listened to Missy Elliott. And I, I think she would agree with you on a lot of these points. You know, the other, the other only other thing I don't think we touched on about Missy Elliott. She's a phenomenal dancer. Like, yeah, she watched the, watch the Super Bowl halftime show, which, you know, was her after being, not in the limelight for years and years. And she just, you know, absolutely dances the shit out of that halftime show. Watch the music video for gossip folks or, um, work it like chicken dance uh, on top of everything. She was, she was 43 during that halftime show. Yeah. And people used to give her shit and say she was out of shape. Fuck you. (laughs) Missy is a goddess. Absolutely, dude. So good on you. And yeah, like my my onus is so weird. Like Missy Elliott is a gigantic part of of my hip hop rap culture. So if she's not part of yours, listener, she a hundred percent deserves to be. Yeah. Oh, you ready to depress everybody, Andy? Yeah, because this one's sad. <laughs> I, I kind of hate this one, but like, like there, there are hates we do, you know, every episode, not only do we break down something we love, but we break down something that we hate. Sometimes those can be uh, pedantic or ultra personal and, and kind of quibbly. And, you know, sometimes they are just uh, a, a thing that we at least feel is horribly wrong with the world. And this one is the latter. So you've read the title and you know that I'm talking about the Amazon rainforest fire of 2019. Although really this is not in fact the Amazon fire that you could buy on Amazon right now. That's fucking worse than the other one you did. That's the worst joke we've ever done on this show. (laughs) Uh, And we're not going to cut a word of it. Nope. (laughs) Oh, I love you. Um, uh, no, I, I appreciate you making me laugh. I, I hope I can still laugh by the end of this. We're talking about, you know, a, a, an event that 
briefly popped up on everybody's radar and for i think most people has already gone away and that that's kind of what i hate about this not to get ahead of myself but i'm talking about the rainforest like like the rainforest guys the amazon rainforest fires because that's that's really what it is um so just a a smattering of disturbing facts the first thing you find when you type in the words amazon rainforest fire in google is a question that google auto completes for you which is is the amazon actually on fire yes yes it is you idiots <laughs> I mean if if you're typing it in you probably know but just what what the hell google <laughs> like that means enough people typed in is the amazon actually on fire and you're the idiots i'm talking to for anyone who is unfamiliar with what i'm i'm talking about here for over a month at this point there have been several hundreds thousands of intense and catastrophic fires in the Amazon rainforest. As of August 29th, the total number of active fires was 2,500. And I want that to sink into people like two over 2000 fires going on at the same time over the course of a month. And like this, so I first heard about this on Twitter and I'm sure many other people did too. You know, it, it, it started popping up on Twitter and Facebook and we saw some, some scary statistics like the fact that the smoke from these fires can be seen from space. You know, the, Mm. the Brazilian space station has taken pictures of the country and it's like, it's as big as the great wall of China. The smoke is so dense that the sky in Sao Paulo, which is on the opposite side of the country, has been darkening at 3 p.m. The smoke is blacking out the sun, which, for anybody who needs a reminder, is like one of the things that killed the dinosaurs. Uh These fires are partially if not mostly due to human industrial expansion uh ranchers needing more land for for cattle growth and things like that and and like that part of it is not new we've been taking out a football size a football field size chunk of the rainforest like every hour for the past 40 years or something like that but something along those lines yeah Um, but the thing that like has really amped up is that this year it has been in a historically intense dry season, which makes, you know, the area in general more susceptible to fires. And, Mm -hmm. you know, the industrial expansion is much worse this year because this is like the first or second year into the presidency of one higher Bolsonaro, who is a monster. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I feel like most people who listen to us won't be offended by me characterizing that he is a friend and ally of Donald Trump and letting that speak for itself. Mm. Um, so 
not to lean back into the hatred of the 24-hour news cycle. We just did that a couple episodes ago. But a lot of the same things we argued about and we raged about are to blame here. And it's what's really just so incredibly messed up about all this. For one thing, no one outside of Brazil seemed to really know about these fires for the first three weeks they were raging. Again, I want this to sink into people. The Amazon rainforest was on fire for three weeks before we, the rest of the world, seemed to really have a clue about it. I don't even know how that happens outside of, like, you know, massive control of information. I'm going to say this. Um, you know, I got I got a lot of family in Colombia, which the rainforest does extend into. Uh, the southeastern tip of Colombia does have a portion of the Amazon rainforest. And, you know, I have I, I'm, I'm on Facebook with a bunch of my family there. I'm in contact with people. Didn't say a word about it. I didn't hear anything about it from them. Uh, now, I haven't exactly reached out and been like, hey, have you guys heard about this? But I don't know how much, like, my family reads the news and they talk about it. I don't know how it was kept from them, but they, they weren't talking about it themselves. Right. And Not until we were talking about it here. Right. Like, my my mind just instantly goes to, like, somehow the Brazilian government kept the lid on this and like i i don't know you're picturing it and we're talking about i'm it. not picturing that i say three weeks and maybe you go oh that's such a specific date how do you know that like i know that because that was basically the headline i read on twitter that like made my own self aware about this the amazon rainforest has been on fire for three weeks and no one's talking about it and here's why so you know all of a sudden a fire gets lit over the internet over this issue and we all spend about 10 days freaking out about it you know writing think pieces about how earth's lungs are on fire how uh you know we're falling off the cliff to prevent some sort of environmental apocalypse and then the news cycle moved on you know we we watched it we talked about it for a moment and then as our society has become pretty much conditioned to do. We got bored and, you know, turned our attention to hurricane Dorian, which, you know, suddenly reared its ugly head and screwed up the Bahamas and was, you know, the thing we opened this episode to talk about, or, you know, maybe we were talking about how Boris Johnson was screwing things up for England over in Brexit. We moved on and, you know, we're recording this like, a week or two after this thing was really at its peak. So, you know, the episode's going to be dropping and this will all have happened like two months ago. And mm. I, I, I don't sit here and optimistically think that any, anybody really will still be talking about the rainforest, which no. will still be on fire. Yeah, this is, we're recording this, um, this should drop October the 1st. We're recording this on September the 9th. So just over three weeks beforehand. And I'm going to be honest with you guys. I have seen maybe one story, one one new article, one new report on the Amazon fires in the last 
I don't know, 72 hours. And I'm pretty addicted to Twitter. Sure. And um, I don't know what I'm expecting to see by the time it hits October the 1st. If any of you out there come across, just just do us a favor. Um, after this episode drops and you listen to it, um, for 24 hours after that, after whenever you listen to it, if you listen to it the day it drops, cool. If you listen to it like a week later, fine. For that 24 hours, um, do us a favor. If you happen to organically come across any Amazon Rainforest Fire updates, and I don't mean you search for them. I mean they just happen across your Facebook feed, your Twitter feed, whatever. Please send them to us. Uh, the email is lovehaterelationshippodcast at gmail.com. The Twitter is at LHRPod. We're going to repeat all that at the end of the episode. But please, I'll be very curious to see what, if any, updates organically just in the course of your day-to-day -day scrolling your day-to-day -day news watching or media consumption what you actually see here yeah please Is that a good like, challenge like you know to prep before we started the episode i i typed in the amazon rainforest fire just to you know be able to have access to information at my fingertips and like there was the the, the latest story was posted four hours ago and like beyond that, it's like there's maybe one or two a day where we're still talking about this. But, you know, it's it's moving on to people just making pieces that are criticizing Bolsonaro or people talking about like we can still save the rainforest. People aren't necessarily covering the fire anymore. And I didn't hear about us getting a solution like you know important to note world governments have taken note of this this isn't a cataclysmic world ending event that we haven't done nothing to try and solve but like pledging a couple million dollars pledging 20 million dollars in the global grand scheme of things is i mean to to force an analogy it's you know taking a water bucket and throwing it on a wildfire you know the Boo. listen puns are the only thing that's going to get us through this one <laughs> <laughs> but the last thing i i kind of want to touch on and we'll discuss it you know a little bit more but like here's the thing i really hate i can't just sit here and hate the fact that the amazon's on fire well I mean, I guess I can. I can hate the fact that we've been destroying, you know, one of the greatest marvels of nature for over 40 years and that we have an insane person who turned down $40 million of aid because the French prime minister insulted him. I, I guess I could hate that. But the thing I, I really want to narrow in and talk about my hatred for this one is like the misinformation and the the collective apathy that like maybe we're not even trying to be apathetic but we become so conditioned to only care about something for a certain amount of time and then whether or not it's fixed or not we just move on to the next crisis like for for every take i see that calls the amazon rainforest the earth's lungs I see somebody else trying to make a counterpoint and say stupid shit like every last tree on earth could die and we would still be able to breathe because of algae in the ocean. 
which isn't helping. And even if that's true, I don't want to put that to the test because we're killing the oceans anyway. You know, actual scientists are measuring the effects of this disaster and not to scare people, but to inform people like the the statistic I keep reading is that if another 20 percent of the Amazon rainforest is destroyed either by fires or by, um, you know, just deforestation. But 20%, a fifth of the remaining Amazon rainforest, if it is destroyed, the rest of it will die on its own because of a process called dieback, which you can look up. And it's basically like the rainforest becomes too small to sustain its own ecosystem, goes through a period where it dies and stays dead for a couple hundred years, and then takes another couple hundred years to slowly come back. And, like, if we get to that point, if the Amazon rainforest achieves dieback, if we aren't already cataclysmically boned as a species, then at the very least, life as we know it will cataclysmically change for the worst. And we're all going to need to buy our cans of Amazon brand purified air to stay alive. I'm reminded of an old... George Carlin line where he was talking about he was talking about climate change and I believe the line went something to the effect of everyone's worried about the planet everyone says the planet won't be here anymore the planet this the planet that and he says don't worry about the planet the planet will be fine the planet goes on the planet isn't going anywhere Fucking we are. There's nothing wrong with the planet. The planet is fine. The people are fucked. Yeah. And dieback is the process by which... You're right, any of you can look this up, but dieback is the process by which a forest essentially culls its own natural resources, goes into a death of hibernation so that its nutrients can reabsorb into the soil and regrow itself over a period of centuries. Andy, you summed it up pretty well. We don't need to be here for that yeah. to happen. And, and there's a lot we can talk about on this, you know? Yeah, Bolsonaro is clearing that land um, partly uh, due to incentivizing the cattle industry and various industrializations, partly because he fucking hates the native population, which just won a court case to defend its own land rights, and he's going after them for that. Never mind that he's the guy who has openly said that he really does not care how many of them die. And never mind how I've seen at least a couple of articles about, like, tribal chiefs being assassinated. Like, we're straight-up Jimmy yeah. Hoffaing people over this. We That's the thing. This isn't new. This has been going on forever. Brazil's biggest export is beef. And I'm not going to get on my vegetarian high horse right now. But the point of it is that Brazil's economy, to sustain itself... In the face of the economic idiocy and corruption that is the Bolsonaro administration, in order to not go completely under, 
it needs to expand where it can. And really, the fastest way to expand is to increase its cattle exports, its beef exports, which, by the way, we are buying, as Americans, a whole hell of a lot. Now, am I saying that American beef consumption is responsible for this? No. I'm saying that a warbling jackass who has no other way to keep his economy afloat is manipul is using environmental factors to manipulate markets. Huh. I wonder where we've seen that before. This is really solvable. It's so solvable, <laughs> you guys. That's what's stupid. It is so solvable. And we're not going to do it. Yeah. I mean, and just, just today, completely, um, like, coincidentally of its own, I, I saw somebody on Twitter was saying, like, we're, we're transitioning from old white right wing 1% conservative types saying that global warming and environmental like destruction is never going to happen to saying that it was unavoidable all along and there was never anything a species like uh, ours could do to change it like which is a disturbing narrative on its own like it's been a while i think since we've done like a serious call to action and like like more than against student loan debt more than more than against pig vomit steve king like like i'm sitting here begging our listeners to to make a call to action to do something to educate yourself and to figure out what is a thing I can do to help this situation and to help the sustainability of the human race? I, I myself and Alex and I talked about this off mic. Um, the last time we recorded, like I sat here and thought, what's the easiest thing I can do? And I came to the conclusion of I'm going to stop eating red meat when I go out and, and buy food. And like, just saying that alone, I sit here and be like, that's, that's not enough. And that's such a, such a tiny little toehold. Like it really is the easiest thing I can think to do, but I'm resolved to doing it until I, you know, figure out the next thing I can do. So this one makes me sad. This one makes me tired. This one makes me angry. I don't want to live in the Blade Runner universe. <laughs> uh, I can quote Roy yeah. Batty from heart. I don't, I don't want all these moments to be lost in time. Like tears and rain. I don't want to, I, I don't want to have like smog be my skyline. I don't want to buy canned air. I don't know if we're going to be able to do this unless like widespread everybody on earth, especially a good chunk of those one percenters actually makes viable change. Like I've seen numerous actors, you know, throw a handful of dollars at the problem and yeah, they could throw more, but you know what? At least they're doing something. So that's, that's the thing I hate right now. I, I hate it deep in my soul and I hate that 
already the the rug is being pulled back o- over our eyes. Uh, so I'm going to link to something in the uh, episode description. Uh, there's a globalcitizen.org article called Seven Organizations You Can Support to Protect the Rainforest. Um, guys, if you got money, if you have even like a dollar or two that you can provide to something like this, that little bit can help. Especially if a lot of people do it, you know, we don't have a huge listener base, you know? We really don't. We really don't, and that's fine. But, um, do the thing, man. Like, if you can't. If you can't do that, um, the other thing I'm gonna link is, uh, callmycongress.com. I'll put the link in, but it's literally the words callmycongress.com. It's a website you can use. All you gotta do is throw in your zip code, and it will pull up the contact information and names for your congressional representatives. You can Google scripts if you don't know what to say, if you don't know what the best thing to say is. Uh, There are tons of those. I'm not going to link those, but call your reps. Have them talk, like, talk to them about this. Make those phone calls. Because believe it or not, that's, that's the kind of thing that comes up a lot with these news cycles. You know, people will say, call your representatives to talk to them about this. Call your representatives about the Muslim ban. Call your representatives about the fucking wall. Call your representatives about Puerto Rico. And people do it for a week. And then they stop. And that's 24-hour news cycle. That's, people get bored. People move on. The day that we're recording this, um, the... Sharpie gate of the Trump administration drawing a bunch of shit with a Sharpie to make Hurricane Dorian look like it was going to Alabama on an outdated map is just winding down and he's arguing with Chrissy Teigen on Twitter. Call your fucking representatives. Make it so that this is on their radar. Call them often. If you can, call them daily. If you can't call them daily, call them weekly. Put it in your Google Calendar. Save the phone number. If you have money, Donate it. Spread it where you can. Try and do something. It might feel like you're screaming into a void, but the funny thing about enough people screaming into a void is if there are enough of us, we get heard. I think you said it better than I could, man. Like, maybe this is the episode you share. And I'm not saying that because... um... I want to just get new listeners, but like maybe if you happen to be someone who has been unfamiliar with this issue and you know, a a good friend of yours is equally unfamiliar. Maybe this is, Hey, listen to this podcast. Um, and these guys at least try to explain the situation. Yeah. They pretty clearly have a bias, but I think every human being needs to have a bias on this one. Like, uh, I don't know. Uh, I, I think you, you stirred people up and, and thank you for providing those resources. We're also going to, uh, we're going to provide an article from CNET called Amazon rainforest fires, everything we know and how you can help. Uh, this is going to be a pretty link heavy one, but with all that said, um, Do you want to dive into our question? 
Yeah, and this is a fun one. So we're going to go from like up, up high to kind of down low to, I don't know, somewhere in the medium. I don't know, man. <laughs> Do you want to read this or should I? Yeah, I'll read this. And, and so this one's a little different. Normally, uh, we take your listener questions and provide our perfectly unqualified advice. Um, full transparency, this episode we've done something a little bit different. Um, there is a Twitter account that I've recently started following called relationships.txt. And it's a, it's, it's a fun read. You, you see some people, uh, talking about their absolutely bonkers ass relationship problems. And, you know, that's kind of our shtick. So apologies to, um, anybody who wanted their sent in question to be read today but said more we're running exactly we'll get you on the next one um we're going to briefly do something different and instead discuss this relationship problem from twitter so with that said my boyfriend and i have been dating for a little over a year he is my first boyfriend and my first love Our relationship would be picture perfect if it wasn't for this one issue. My boyfriend has a deep hatred for people in the teaching profession, which I 100% don't agree with. Growing up, he suffered through some terrible experiences with crappy teachers at school, and even today he often has bad experiences with teachers at work. He works in IT for a high school and helps teachers with their laptops and other technical stuff. My boyfriend believes that teachers are egotistical with a self-inflated idea of their own intelligence. He also believes that so-called good teachers don't exist, and that a vast majority of teachers are, in fact, too stupid to teach. Often, he comes home ranting about another issue he had with a particular teacher at work, and now he wishes he could be free of teachers. I work in retail at the moment, but I've recently decided I want to become a high school teacher for humanities. However, I'm afraid to tell my boyfriend, because I fear he will judge me and or put me down for wanting to be a teacher. I'm also deeply worried it will change his opinion of me. If I do end up becoming a teacher, I would obviously expect my boyfriend to stop venting to me about how much he hates teachers. But still, deep down, I will always know he hates teachers, and perhaps we won't be able to overcome that? How do I approach this conversation with my boyfriend? I want to have a productive conversation with him about how we can move forward if I pursue a profession in teaching. Any advice? (sighs) Do you want to start, Andrew, or shall I? Oh, wait, we have to give this person a name. I'm sorry. We do have to give this person a name. Hmm. Okay, so... So, presumably female, although I don't think a gender is ever actually given... When I think of good teachers, and I mean, it sounds like this person wants to be a good teacher, only one name comes to mind. Are you thinking what I'm thinking? Uh, I'm thinking the Frizz. Yes! (laughs) I love that we've mind-melded to this point. (laughs) So, hello, Miss Frizzle. (laughs) Oh, I love Miss Frizzle. Please let this be a normal field trip with the Frizz. No! With that said, um, I picked this one in particular out of Twitter because I felt like we would be able to provide some well-thought-out answers, uh, particularly you, my friend, since you have yourself been in the teaching profession. I have been in the teaching profession, and I rather enjoyed being a teacher. And I don't know, Andy, do I come off as uh, egotistical (laughs) with a self-inflated idea of my own intelligence? Uh, The second one, maybe, sometimes. (laughs) 
Oh, he's so sweet when he's being honest and thinks that I won't stab him. Uh, no, in all seriousness, um, I am happy to start on this one. And I do have thoughts. Um, Miss Frizz, uh, can I call you Valerie? Valerie Felicity Frizzle, which is Miss Frizzle's first and middle name, by the way. Um, the part that I want to address first, and there are several points in this that are worthy of addressing, but the part that I think I want to address first is specifically the sentence, I'm also deeply worried it will change his opinion of me. Setting aside, I'll whether I address it or Andy addresses it, I'm going to briefly set aside the clear issues that your boyfriend uh, has and should definitely seek help with. Uh, and address this notion right here, because the idea that you are worried that in the number of people who go into teaching because they don't know what else to do, because it seems like an okay opportunity, that is, it, it exists. I'm not going to pretend it doesn't, but it doesn't sound like that's you. You say that you've decided you want to become a high school teacher for humanities. I don't think that's something someone falls into ass backwards. You want this. I assume that means you have at least some drive, some desire, some passion for this. And the idea that your boyfriend's opinion of you, that his feelings for you, that his love for you, if I may assume something of your fears, will dampen because you decide that there is a profession that you care so deeply about, that you find noble enough to pursue, that that will change his opinion of you, speaks a lot to me about respect in this relationship. Yes. About consideration. If that happens... If that happens, and I'm talking his opinion truly changes of you, he might crack jokes, he might be uncomfortable, there might be a discussion for sure, but if he's, his honest-to-God feelings for you change because you decide you want to be a high school humanities teacher, he doesn't respect you. He doesn't actually love you. He loves a perception of you that he has cultivated for himself, and that Maybe you, maybe you, in defending yourself, have hidden parts of yourself from him. That's not your fault. That's not a fault for either of you. That's just a defense mechanism. But if you releasing that defense mechanism causes his feelings about you to change that drastically, he does not respect you. And this is not something... that That is the deeper problem, if that ends up being the case. So... Starting off from there, I really want you to think about that question. Do you honestly think his feelings for you will earnestly change beyond this little thing that he's got with teachers, beyond him maybe cracking bad jokes or being kind of mean-spirited? Do you honestly think his feelings for you will change? The rest of it needs addressing too. But if that's the case, I need you to think about being with someone who doesn't respect you in that way. I'm going to let Andy talk for a minute. Yeah, thank you, man, because I, I just want to piggyback. Like, the, the my biggest takeaway was, like, the core problem here 
doesn't have to do with your boyfriend's hatred of teachers. Your the 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 core problem here has to do with like the way that you're worried it's going to manifest in your relationship. And I mean, I'm sitting here as somebody who semi-professionally, whatever you want to call this, like comes up with things to hate every two weeks. And like, I, I wonder if this is a little thing you call this a deep hatred. And you say that he is constantly, um, coming home and having a new story about a bad experience saying that no good teachers exist. Like there are things I hate deeply teachers, not one of them. And like, yeah, the biggest thing here is like the dynamic you've set up with your boyfriend or that you have with your boyfriend and, and a little key thing here. I don't want to demean your relationship, but you're talking about how, this is your first boyfriend and your first love and everybody hears this advice and it, it always stings a little bit, but like my experience and the common experience of everybody is that those first ones never really last, you know? And I, I don't say that to make you feel bad, but especially with him displaying this behavior that if it's not problematic now, it's probably going to become problematic once you tell him you want to be a teacher. Like it's okay to pick your career over this person that you do love now, but you admit yourself is your first love. We all have our first love, but I think very rarely is our first love, our only love. And that's not, a bad thing you know i i would tell miss frizzle that she needs to have this conversation sooner rather than later break it all down and you know do it in a in a calm way but break down the entire situation as she sees it namely the intense hatred that her boyfriend has and and this image in her mind of he's got this locked in antagonism for teaching and then say, I want to do that and explain what your goal is and explain like your motivations for wanting to be a teacher. Teaching is a noble profession. It's, you know, it's, it's, um, it deserves a lot more credit and, care than i think people give it i'm going to present you with two two things i want you to think about miss frizzle um and they're both personal first of all you work in retail as someone who works in retail i assume that you have certain feelings about customers i know that when i have worked in customer service style positions uh, even now, where I work in more of a sort of social service -y type of situation, I am not always too happy with the clientele. I often experience deep frustration with them. I definitely experienced that with customers. For a long time, I thought there was no such thing as a good customer. Obviously, that was hyperbole, but a lot of customers are dumb idiots Entitled morons, assholes, 
and people named Chad. <laughs> that one was just for you, Andrew. My point is this. Your BF has had some bad experiences. So just like you probably have certain opinions of customers, his bad experiences have been deepened by his bad ex- like his bad feelings have been ex- deepened by his bad experiences both in childhood and reinforced by his job. However, you can present this as a logical argument of you say that all teachers are bad here's where i disagree with you here's the kind of teacher i want to be this is of course assuming we've already moved past the whole like opinion of you will change thing that i mentioned at the beginning but there's a deep conversation here and it's a question of logic you know if he really thinks that all teachers regardless of personality upbringing training state of mind experience all of this stuff are inherently terrible because they are teachers he has a lapse in logic and if he has any degree of reasonable intelligence a reasonable conversation should be able to start chipping away at that that's point number one point number two which is more personal i don't like cops i say that outright from a very young age my programming my upbringing so much about my experiences in the world as a person of color have taught me cops are not to be trusted. Don't ever trust a cop. If a cop walks in a room, you be careful. You mind yourself because they will look at you like a target. These are the messages that I grew up with. I say that and then I tell you there are people in my life who have expressed desires to join law enforcement. There are people in my life who, in fact, work with law enforcement. There's no one, there's no one in my life who is a cop. But I have needed to cotton with the fact that there might be people in my life who choose to become cops. Now, I feel like cops inherently, law enforcement inherently, those who are part of that system are inherently part of a broken system. However, I have learned that that does not necessarily make them morally culpable. It does mean that some conversations can be hard. It does mean that I need to make certain admissions. It does mean that I need to be smart about what I voice. It does mean that I need to have more compassion than I maybe want to. But it doesn't change the fact that cops will always make me uncomfortable and I can still care for and love people who choose to pursue that and view it with more nuance. I would ask you to have your boyfriend look at things the same way. Try and find the nuance. Try and explain the nuance. If this is a relationship that you truly feel is worth cultivating, and Andy might be right, you know, <laughs> I certainly didn't stay with my first love. God help me and God thank you. This could be a really hard time for you. This could be a very instructive time for you. I feel like I say that all the time. But perspective and nuance are what are needed here more than anything else. That and respect. Yeah. Uh, Alex, outside of everything else, I want to clarify real quick. Do you not consider forensic examiner to be uh, a cop? Like, like is Chris a cop? Or not in your eyes? <laughs> he is not okay. a cop. Um, he himself has said that he's not a cop, although he is someone who was training to be a cop for a while and 
you know, I soul searched a little while he was in that training. All right, all right. Ultimately, he ultimately he didn't end up becoming a cop. By the way, hey Chris, love you, buddy. Aiden is a beautiful boy. Um, congratulations on the new baby. Yeah, Chris isn't a cop, but if Chris had chosen to become a cop, you know, my brother-in-law was looking at possibly being a cop for a little while. It didn't end up doing it, but people in my life, people I care about, have looked into that profession told me about it and i've decided that it was more important for me to be supportive now granted if anyone in my life who i cared about was a cop and then they you know did some some of the dark shit that i lay at the hands of a lot of cops feet we have issues I hear you. thankfully that hasn't come up but the point stands i have an internalized prejudice against an entire profession does that mean that if someone in my life chooses to pursue that profession, I immediately hate them? It did once when I was less mature. Now that I'm more mature, I try and see it with more nuance. And Miss Frizzle, you are all about the nuance. Absolutely. Um, I'll, I'll leave you with this, Frizz. You know, optimistically, this could go very bad, but maybe this could go very well, you know? Like... Like Alex mentioned with retail and thinking about my own experiences, like, like I don't like the people I work with either <laughs> for the most part. Um, I love that none of them listen to the show. So you can say yeah, that right? maybe being an IT and, and seeing teachers at their worst, seeing teachers at their most. Did you try turning it off and on again? Incompetent. Maybe that colors his viewpoint. Maybe you guys do love each other so much that he will be forced to re-examine his viewpoint. Maybe his viewpoint isn't as so strongly set in stone as it feels like to you. You just, you know, you're the person he vents to. And so you never see the other side. All of these things are possible. And I, you know, I, I just want you to be prepared. And I think in the grand scheme of things, um, no no man is worth your career if it's what you want your career to be but that is that is not to say that you need to prepare for a breakup or you need to like set yourself up for a breakup i think you need to set yourself up for a conversation maybe it'll go better or maybe it'll go worse but if it goes worse it will not be the end of the world and you know, learning to become a teacher isn't an easy thing. So if, uh, you know, you find yourself newly single, you can throw yourself into your studies and your career and your passion. And there's nothing wrong with that either. So get your magic school bus, go buy an iguana. If your hair isn't red, consider dying it. You got this. Hell Yeah. And so that has been love-hate relationship. You know, as I said before, we we really like taking your audience questions. And, you know, the, I, I'm sitting here and the only thing that leaves a kind of sour taste in my mouth is knowing that it's very unlikely that Miss Frizzle actually hears our advice. Um, because... It, while unqualified, I, I think we do our best. So if you have a relationship question of any way, shape, or form, it doesn't have to be an actual, like, 
boyfriend girlfriend relationship it can just be a co-worker a friend a pet or a loved one and you want to hear our unqualified but well-meaning advice you can send those questions into love hate relationship podcast at gmail.com where we promise we'll read them you can subscribe to us on apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, stitcher spotify youtube or even tune in radio hey mom uh we would also absolutely adore it if you would review us on any or all of those, uh, I recently read a thing that said those user reviews don't actually help very much for engagement, but I've read 900 other things that say they do. So who the hell knows? Do it anyway. <laughs> that's, that's, that's Pascal's wager, isn't it? Yeah. Um, Oh, I just went there. Uh, You can also tweet us at LHRPod. That's L-H-R-P-O-D with your questions. And follow us to keep up with new episodes. That's right. And, you know, we don't usually say this, but I'm going to say it. Retweet this one. Like, help spread the word if for no other reason than it's only together that we're going to fix our poor broken earth. Um, And now that... And boost Missy Elliott sales. Exactly equally important <laughs> um you can follow me andy boel at jovocop2113 and if you're a movie nerd i also have a uh, a fun film podcast called cult fiction which you can find on twitter where i talk with the incomparable stephanie johnson about cult films yep uh and you can follow me i have no other podcasts at the moment uh, as of yet <laughs> yeah. uh shush uh and i'm at a underscore x underscore r-u-i-z on both twitter and instagram thanks for listening y'all happy october and as always tell your enemies